What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We like to drop these in between our full episodes, and it's been a while since we had a full episode because it was holiday season. Happy New Year to everybody out there in the AOTA family who's listening, and you know, shout out to all of y'all who are just now going back to work. For those of you who work on school campuses or in education systems, and your winter break perhaps has just come to a close and you're on your commute back to the first day of school, really, really shout out to you uh, for that. And those of you who've already started, who went back last week, sorry. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I was off last week. I did absolutely nothing. I laid around at home as it rained every day out here in Southern California. Jeff, how you doing, man? How you doing? You did not go back last week, right? Or you kind of pseudo did-ish? Well, I work year-round, so I most definitely was back January 3rd. Uh, And we had a major event uh, on January 5th, so this week was uh, one, one of the, you know, busier weeks of the year uh, in, in the rhythm of my particular work. Uh, but yes, I uh, I went back. I did get like, a, you know, about a solid two weeks off though, man. I was, um, I went nice. back to Minnesota to experience real winter and it was like, I left LA and it was, quote, this is air quotes time. It was cold in LA, 48 degrees yeah. when I took off Woo. and I landed, I landed in Minnesota and it was four degrees. <laughs> And I could see the flight attendant's breath when she opened the door uh, to the plane. And uh, and I was like, okay, well, I, I just lost 44 degrees <laughs> in four Damn. hours. Uh, yeah, so, um, and it got colder from there. So, and it was like a foot and a half of snow. It was beautiful, though, I have to say. It was like a postcard, man. Just, just stunningly, you know. All the trees are like glowing crystal white kind of a thing. And, you know, it's it's nice. It was a beautiful white Christmas in that sense. Nice. It was not that over here where I live in um, my my part of Los Angeles. And those of you who aren't familiar with Los Angeles, obviously it's very large. But um, I'm in the the hotter part of it in the San Fernando Valley. And it hit almost, almost 80 degrees on Christmas Day. We had all the windows open. And at one point it was like, should we close the windows? Like that warm air is wafting in, it's getting warm in here. Um, mm. So it was very much not that, um, you know, Midwestern traditional Christmas time weather. It was it was really dope. I, I actually preferred that 80 degrees on Christmas. But then ever since then, it's been cloudy and rainy practically every single day, which obviously we need out here in California. So not complaining, not complaining. So yeah, well, yeah, Jeff. Nah. I, w- I would have appreciated a little bit of that 80 degrees when I got back to L.A., though, man. <laughs> oh, nah. That was gone. To go, you missed it. To go from four degrees and a foot of snow to torrential rain in L.A. for like three weeks straight, I- I'm like, I'm ready for a little bit of sunshine now. Man, it's been raining so much, like by our standards. Well, I think by any standards, it's, it's just been a lot of rain. And it's yeah. already way more rain than we received all of last year, like easily. And we got more rain on the way, so... Yeah, you might be listening to this on your commute to school, and it might be raining. And ah, oh, that first day back after break, and if it's cloudy and dreary and rainy, it's a it could be a challenging, you know, somewhat emotionally challenging day for a lot of folks. Not just you, but your students as well. So um, definitely uh, remember to well, maybe I'm speaking to myself. I got to remember to uh, hunker down and be that uh, warm, welcoming, positive person that they deserve on their first day back to winter break because who knows what they experienced during their um during their days off from school so yeah also my niners are doing great jeff i just had to throw that in there 
my Niners are doing great. Um, let's talk education. Let's talk education. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk Minnesota Vikings, uh, the, the, wor <laughs> the worst good team of all time. Uh, <laughs> oh goodness. Um, yeah, let's let's talk education, man. Let's let's do it. Yeah, man. So, you know, uh, a few of the podcasts that I listen to, I don't really listen to uh, very many education podcasts outside of our own and uh, Two Dope Teachers and um, one or two others that might be slipping my mind um, at the moment. But my, you know, regular like pop culture slash sports type podcast, a lot of them have done like, you know, resolutions for the year and in that type of like New Year episode. Maybe it would be a bit unoriginal, uninspired if we did that. So instead of just doing our New Year's uh, resolutions, Jeff, we're going to focus on education and think about what resolutions may be the educational world should hone in on as we start mm -hmm. a new calendar year, which is halfway through <clears throat> the school year. So it's kind of a new year, but it's not. But it's kind of a fresh start, but it's not. So those education resolutions, those edu resolutions... We're going to talk about those, Jeff, because, you know, it'd be really unoriginal just to talk about New Year's resolutions, generally speaking. So, Jeff, I think we're going to start with you um, because I'm still kind of thinking about mine because I'm not really a New Year's resolution person. And I have, um, you know, some scattered thoughts here, but I'm sure you have um, some clarity that you could bring to our conversation about what the education world really needs to uh, focus on and hone in on or perhaps do better at going into this calendar year of 2023. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I have been putting some thought into this because uh, we, we full transparency, folks, we talked about this idea uh, for last Saturday, which was New Year's Eve, if I'm remembering correctly, or New Year's Day. Maybe It was. It was New Year's uh, Eve. Yeah. Yeah. And so some of some of you saw the tweet, which uh, was literally the text exchange <laughs> that Manuel and I have where I was like, uh so do you want to record? Because I don't want to record. I'm about to make this couch my home for the next 24 hours here. And uh, Manuel said that I hate public education. And uh, that was funny. Um, so I've been thinking about it for, you know, for the last week or so. And honestly, I was racking my brain. I didn't have, I felt like I couldn't crystallize a good thought until really this morning. Um, and... And it hit me, Manuel, that really in two specific ways. So my first education uh, resolution for the new year, for 2023, is to speak truth in the face, uh, even in the face of overwhelming political pressure. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, and I think, you know, this is something I want to hold in my heart uh, and, and challenge myself to fulfill this year. But I also want to invite uh, and enlist many of our colleagues to do the same because I feel like there is a, uh, a sort of repeating hurricane brewing uh, right now in our field. And it's different than it, than it was in the early 2000s, but it's kind of the same. And it is the, uh, the sort of same forces that coalesce to bring us No Child Left Behind in its first iteration, where the only thing that matters is the test. And the incentive structures get all messed up and people start just doing crappy test prep and cheating on the test. Um, I personally uh, see many, many signs that we are seeing a more nuanced and yet fundamentally similar 
movement in our in our field of education, largely driven by, you know, publishers, politicians, the sort of uh, philanthropy, the sort of powers that be um, in the field, with the veneer of righteousness that that tells us the pandemic was you know, had a really negative effect on kids and families and schools, that learning loss is, you know, is huge. And like, what are the stakes for the future of a generation if we don't address learning loss? And it has the veneer of like deep care about children and their futures. And none of the substance, in my mind, that shows actual commitment about, <laughs> about the futures of, you know, kids and communities that, that we serve, in particular, black and brown kids, indigenous kids, in particular, uh, you know, low income students, in particular, marginalized youth of any sort, right? We care about the test scores, but we don't care about healthcare and housing and food stability and employment and wages and environmental degradation and all the other things that, um, that would be the indicators of, oh, we actually care. Uh, about kids and communities. So uh, to me, that rings very familiar to what we experienced in the early 2000s, which is like, we're not going to leave any child behind. And, you know, th this is a bipartisan agreement that like education, regardless of our disagreements, everyone should have equal opportunity with education, right? And it's like the use of education to prop up the mythology of, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, land of opportunity, streets are paved with gold, all you have to do is work hard. Uh, so I feel like that crew has just changed the window dressing and they're back, hardcore. And on the other side, Manuel, I have to say, among a slice of educators, there is also the, like, these kids can't crowd is back. Uh, and maybe neither of these crowds went anywhere to begin with. But, like, I feel like there's a little bit of this sort of um, in reaction to the learning loss crowd, there's the, like, well... You know, tests are totally uh, mean nothing. These kids can't read. They can't do this. They can't do that. Like like a uh, an unfortunate kind of fixed deficit type of thinking that is also, uh, I feel like, um, bubbling uh, below the surface. And I feel like there is a truth that needs to be spoken in the middle, which is, yes, our children can. And... Tests are not the only thing that matters uh, in terms of what success looks like. And this is, this is, tests do not tell the entire story of a child or a school or a teacher. Um, and there are potentially very harmful effects of creating incentive structures that are all about movement of state test scores um, because it narrows the curriculum, it makes school more boring, it disincentivizes people from coming in or staying in the profession of education. And let's be real, nobody, not a single person, when they when you ask them what was great about school when you were a kid, it's like, oh, the state test in fourth grade, man, that was my jam, yo. <laughs> like, remember when we had to come to school for three days straight and sit down and take a computer adaptive test and it was untimed and it just went on forever? Remember how cool that was? That's what made me want to become an astronaut. Like, literally, no one says that <laughs> ever. Right, no parent right. is like the best thing. The best days when my kid comes home excited about school is after the state exam. Like, that's not a thing. And so we have to find the right, the truth in my mind 
in the middle, which is tests are an instrument to assess performance. They have a role. Okay, we can use them responsibly. And we cannot sit and be complacent with the fact that our kids, particularly the kids that we work with, black and brown youth, low-income youth, uh, need to be served well by the school system and being like, oh, well, I guess they didn't read much during, you know, during the pandemic, or I guess they're, you know, behind and we're seeing things that are concerning. Oh, well, they have tough lives, like whatever. We, so like, we can't let either of these <laughs> poles in the equation win. Like we have to find a sensible place here uh, where we can do good principled social justice work. Uh, and so my commitment and what I enlist other people to do is speak truth in these conversations, in these spaces where folks are talking crazy about learning loss and where folks are talking crazy about, oh, look at all the horrible things about our kids or their parents don't care about education or whatever, uh, and, and bring some truth to those conversations. Okay, okay. So if I hear you correctly, we need a lot more testing because... <laughs> Exactly. No child left behind. It was flawed. We could do better if we double down on all that testing. All right. I'm with you, Jeff. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You see what I have to deal with here, people? This is, uh, we need an HR department at all the above so I can file a harassment complaint. <laughs> if only, if only we were more than just a two-person operation, we could definitely do that. Uh, we need a lot of things. We need a human resource department, perhaps, but we need folks helping with the, trying to keep the website updated and all this, just the basic stuff, man. Uh, that's, it's that's just hard when talk. it's a two-person operation. Yes. That's um, true. But also, Jeff, that may be a little reminder of how it feels to be a teacher sometimes and to lead some um, great lesson or give some very clear, um, thoughtful instructions, and then a student raises their hand and their takeaway was just completely not at all what you thought you were delivering mm. in that in that mm. moment. So, you know, it happens. <laughs> it happens. Yes. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think mine might be somewhat, somewhat similar to yours, especially in the speaking truth in these conversations and, and standing up for principled, solid um, social justice work in what we do here in education. But, um, just, you know, with my classroom teacher hat on, which is my primary, almost only hat um, in education at the moment, you know, I'm really thinking about all the challenges facing our profession and the fact that it's, maybe it's always been this way, but especially in the last few years, it seems like we have been very, very reactive. So, you know, I, as you know, as classroom teachers were really in survival mode, unfortunately, um, in too many ways. Once the school year gets started, it's just so hard. There's just so many challenges with just the way the system is set up that, um, you know, we don't have time for for a lot of the other stuff outside of what we do for our students. So these waves that have been hitting us, obviously the the critical race theory wave, the, um, the, the continued waves off of that original um, backlash, which is, you know, these, these, uh, this recent targeting of our uh, queer students or trans students and all these attacks on our profession for sure, the curriculum for sure, like, you know, so much of that was able to really gain strength and momentum um, while we were just in the classroom trying to do what's right. And now we're still like scattered trying to react to to something that's already like on the books in so many states. And, and that's not the only thing that we're like scrambling and, and reacting to, you know, over the last 
month or so, although we haven't talked about it yet on this show, um, the conversation around AI and, you know, chat GTP and, and other tools that are that some many teachers are like really fearful of because now it seems like it it's just even easier for students to so-called cheat on assignments like you could enter you know, I've, I've seen so many examples um, just scrolling through stuff online of, of what folks have been able to enter in in these tools and, and what they've been able to produce. And, you know, I saw one teacher post like a three line script that um, he typed into a chat GTP. Is it GTP or GPT? GTP? Whatever. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that artificial intelligence tool um, to, you know, asking it to create a series of lesson plans to teach this and make sure each lesson plan has this, that, whatever. And it produced like Pages and pages of lesson plans, just like that. All he did was enter three sentences and it produced all these lesson plans that weren't fantastic by any means, but they were like, they were solid. I mean, they were pretty much what you would expect in a real basic, basic like teacher professional development, you know, guide or binder or something like that. And, um, you know, so now I see a lot of teachers scrambling to like figure out how to react to to the emergence of these tools, um, which, you know, theoretically, you know, you assign whatever, you assign an essay, a teacher, a student just types the prompt into chat, chat GTP and, and gives it, you know, some guidance of what level of essay it wants it to produce. And it's going to produce one that, that won't show up on a plagiarism checkers or whatever you might have. So, you know, so teachers, I think, or school systems generally are, are trying to react to that, like on the fly. I think uh, New York uh, City schools, I think they already like blocked it from their networks, but it's like that ain't going to do nothing. Kids could just do it, uh, pull it up on their phones. So I say that all to say, um, over the last several years, it seems like we've been needing to react to a lot of forces outside of the classroom that have really threatened our profession and threatened what we're trying to do here in terms of helping students, particularly um, in the wake of the pandemic and all that's happening around the world, help students be seen as fully human, fully capable, um, and and nurtured as fully capable, fully human problem solvers for all the challenges that face our world. And we need the right conditions to to support students, but we're so often reacting to all that's happening and we're seeing just a continued, continued um, stream of folks leaving the classroom because it's just becoming untenable in so many ways, uh, aside from the, the compensation and all that, it's just becoming untenable to like juggle and balance all these things as so much is changing. Like what I'm allowed to teach is changing and, and what's, uh, you know, the assignments that I got all this PD for in terms of helping develop these lessons in these units, like, boom, now a student could just go to this artificial intelligence site and just like knock this stuff out in like two minutes. And then, you know, now what do I do? And, and just this, this mad scramble, I think, that one, well, let me restate this. One thing that I would love to see teachers do is to um, really claim ownership of our profession and find a way to stop being so reactive and claim ownership of the expertise that is being a classroom teacher and really, really make sure that we are the voices in the room that are discussing all these things. So, you know, we're one of the few professions, I think, where these narratives are where all these narratives are driven from the outside and we're here reacting to it. So when I think of 
whatever name, whatever uh, profession, engineers, uh, doctors, lawyers, this, that, whatever, like you don't really see a lot of narratives being formed outside of those professions that are like making, causing them to scramble and, and, and rethink what they do or change what they do. But, you know, of course, teaching is one of those things that, you know, since so many people have experienced school, everyone thinks they have, you know, some kind of um, unique expertise to, to discuss it when in reality, like we are the professionals who are in the, in the room, each day with young people, young people today who are different from young people yesterday. And we are the ones who are experiencing it and learning from it and growing from it and becoming or continuing to evolve as professionals. And I would just love to see a day when teachers are leaning into these conversations and being welcomed into these spaces <clears throat> to make sure that we are shaping this change that is happening. So, you know, I teach at uh, Octavia Butler's alma mater, and anybody who's read Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents, know that like change is a really big theme there, and like this idea that change is going to happen regardless. Like you know, we can't be fearful of this new technology. We can't be fearful of the fact that oh, a kid could you know they don't even have to Google to find an essay anymore. They could just type in that this very unique essay prompt that I crafted. They could just type it in, and and um, it could produce these things could produce a whole essay that won't be flagged for plagiarism instead of having to sit back and be fearful of these things really leaning in to the fact that like no matter what technology is out there no matter what these bigots are out there saying about our curriculum about what we're doing like our expertise and our call at this point is to help craft fully human problem solvers who see the humanity and the dignity of of others no matter their background no matter no matter whatever and who are stepping into a future that hasn't been written yet. All these challenges that are around us, like there are solutions out there and we need students who are capable of seeing their role in helping shape whatever this future ends up looking like. So no tech tool, no like scripted curriculum, no nothing is going to be able to help young people see that they are like, or grow as problem solvers, grow as these really capable humans that we know they are, they need us regardless. So if you're a teacher out there who's scrambling because now students could just you know type in your assignment into the, this AI and get an answer or whatever, it's like, well, maybe the real lesson here isn't about that particular prompt. Maybe it's about the experience and, and helping students and being there along with them, having these conversations with students and seeing the value in what you're doing. Like, one thing that I remind myself every single day as a teacher is just like, did I help build them in any kind of way? Did I give them a reason for being here in my classroom? Like if the at the end of the day, the only thing they got out of my classroom is this little tidbit of information, which they could have looked up online, which they could have gotten from some tech tool, then they didn't really need me and they didn't really need to be here. So what am I doing to make this a worthwhile educational experience? Because students nowadays, more than ever, especially coming off the pandemic, are really sitting there thinking like, is this worth my time? Like, what do I need this for? Um, is this something that is worth me going, dragging myself through whatever I had to drag myself through to be here and deal with all these different challenges that I'm facing with other students, with this, with whatever, like, is this worthwhile for me? And I really need to see, or really hope I could see teachers really lean in and make sure that we are heard and make sure that we're part of the conversations, whether it's 
policy conversations, um, whether it's conversations about, you know, what's being studied and what's being done in academia. I just feel like there's this big gap between what's happening in academia and then what happens in the actual classroom. Like, I just need to see us teachers be part of claiming ownership over our profession, over the education system, and helping shape this change. Because the change is going to come. No matter no matter what we feel about chat GTP and other tools, no matter what we feel about the racism, the bigotry that's out there, like these these things are out there and we we got to do something. We got to do something. Uh, scrambling ain't, ain't going gonna, ain't gonna, to um, be a, a longstanding worthwhile solution for us. So I'll stop there. I'll stop there. I told you I didn't have this really fully fleshed yeah. out, but, you know, I had some some general thoughts. Nah, man, I, I'm over here just uh, mentally clapping. Um, I, I very much appreciate that. And I, um, you know, I, I think what you spoke to there in terms of educators being the voice of, uh, you know, the, the sort of voice of authority in terms of what ethical, high quality practice looks like in our field is so important, man. And and we, it, it does... It, it just incenses me so often when there are conversations about education that I feel like are, you know, are so often missing the right voices from the room. You have politicians, you have philanthropists, you have corporate sector people, you sometimes have researchers or higher ed folks, uh, and you have politicians. And no, or maybe you have union folks. And, and let's be real, sometimes those union folks are like not exactly the, the folks who are representing the like high quality practice. And and it's like, right. where's the like, where's Dr. Rustin? Where's the great teachers in, in this conversation who actually do good teaching every day and can be like, hey, here's what we need in order to, you know, thrive. Here's what we're seeing you know, in terms of what the needs of students are and how things are evolving, uh, you know, in, in the current context. And, uh, and it is uh, that those spaces are few and far between, I, in, in my experience, at least. And um, so that, that very much uh, hits home um, with me, uh, Manuel, for sure. Um, so I, I have a second uh, resolution, which I'll, I'll briefly share Manuel, which which I think relates uh, in, in many ways to what you were saying, which I I feel like I can boil it down as like I want to challenge myself and again enlist others to join this effort as well to remember to humanize education, humanize our work. Remember that it is people that matter most in this equation. And if we learned anything from that period of time where where in-person schooling was taken from us, it's not that the, the tests mattered the most. It's not that, you know, uh, having six periods a day of 54 and a half minute classes or whatever mattered most. It's, it's none of that. What mattered most, what got kids uh, up out of bed and excited to go to school in the morning, what had kids healthy and well-adjusted socially was relationships they have with adults, relationships they have with peer groups, relationships they forged through extracurricular activities. And when that stuff was taken away, we saw huge spikes in mental health crisis among young people. We saw self-harm, suicidal ideation, all these kinds of things, right? Like 
it's screaming at us in our face that the humanizing part is, is the relational part of school is what's most important. And we see it from the adults too, right? Like the kids are maybe acting out in more, um, you know, childlike ways because they're kids. The adults are acting, quote unquote, acting out by leaving the profession, not coming into the profession, reporting on surveys that they're experiencing anxiety, stress, burnout, needing to take more sick days. All of these, you know, these kinds of things that are screaming out to us, there was harm that was done and it wasn't because we didn't get to administer the Smarter Balanced Assessment for, you know, uh, <laughs> right, right. To all to ninety five percent or more of the kids, right? Um, and so, so I think we need to remember fundamentally, right? That like relationships are the currency uh, in school. In, in my mind, um, this has everything to do with all of the good things we hope to see out of school. We want kids to graduate and be ready to go to college. School's got to be a humanizing place. We want uh, young professionals to say, hey, I think being a teacher would be a great profession for me. I love working with kids or I love giving back to my, you know, contributing to my community and feeling like my work is purposeful and crafting the next generation or whatever it is. We need school to be a humanizing kind of space. Um, you know, we want kids to be able to focus, to be able to engage in like deep problem solving and, you know, experiments in science class and, and you know, producing great works of art and music and band and, you know, and, and ceramics class, they have to be in an emotional state where they feel welcomed, they feel seen, they feel, um, you know, supported, loved, nurtured. Um, and so we have to remember that school needs to be a humanizing space for the adults who occupy that space every single day and for the young people who occupy that space every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would argue that that's what makes it worthwhile. Like if school, you know, for a lot of young people, school has become just about like deliverables. Like, okay, what's the assignment? When's it due? Um, and when it's just that, when it just boils down to points and deliverables, then it's just, you know, it, then that can be easily, easily like destroyed by technology because technology can de now deliver things no matter, you know, so quick, so much more quickly um than we've ever been able to do in the past so yeah that that humanizing element that those connections the that helping students explore helping students ex explore ideas like that sort of stuff i don't think can be replaced by technology um that sort of stuff can't be replicated by you know whatever um online system that is trying to replace teachers like that sort of stuff is what makes education I think so important, especially in this day and age, and um, for the young people and for for the adults. I know my as much as I've enjoyed my winter break, like there's a, a huge part of me that's like itching to get back in the classroom, just because like I miss my people, like I miss the folks I work with, I miss my students, like I, I miss the people. Like at home, I'm not interacting with as many people. So, so yeah, I, I um, here here on that resolution for sure. Um, and especially for those of you who are just now getting back to school um, for the second semester, just remembering that human element and the, the importance of that because, man, we're lost without that, man. We're lost without that. There's much social media and all the other things that, that students interact with, like that human component is, is gravely missing. Um, and 
school for a lot of people that might be one of the few places where um, they can interact around ideas and and and, and have connections that um, that they're perhaps not getting um, elsewhere. So yeah, man. Mm. Mm. Amen to that. Yeah. That. Amen. For real, man. For real. It, you know, I think there is. Uh, we're, we're coming up on a, like an inflection point or something. I don't know if I'm using that phrase correctly in this in this instance, Manuel, but it just feels to me like there are too many aspects of the system that are like in crisis, right? It, it's almost like it mirrors what's happening with the climate or something, right? That like right. there's too many too many canaries in the mine shaft that are like, hey, there's a problem here, <laughs> like you know, yeah, man. like we. You know, we and even some of the things we've done to try and acknowledge it where, we're, where you know, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the, the district I primarily work with here in L.A., uh, you know, where there's like good efforts in place. Like we want to hire, you know, a thousand new, you know, guidance counselors to support the needs of, um, you know, our black students or, you know, whatever targeted marginalized population we're talking about. Right. And the difficulty that we have in finding those people, right? And like filling those positions, right? Like that is telling us something, right? Like, oh, why don't we have enough people interested in or willing to work in these fields? Why do we have a situation where we have to have so many people in these positions in our schools in order to make sure our schools are meeting the basic needs of our Yep. you know, of our students and, and the community we serve, right? Like what, all of these are indications of like, there's an issue that we need to get to here that's very systemic. And we are, you know, I think in, in a lot of ways it boils down to like what we have decided and we I'm using loosely because I don't know that it was we, what they have decided <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, is what success is from education is not fully compatible with the needs of the communities that we serve, right? Um, and, and I'm thinking back, Manuel, to, uh, this was probably now a couple years ago when we had Carolyn Roberts on the show, and uh, who's an indigenous educator in, um, up in British Columbia and in Canada. And, you know, she talked to us about like her reaction when she sees like graduation rates go up for kids in, in her community. And feeling like, to me, that's not necessarily a sign of success. That's a sign of like, oh, so now we have one more like colonized kid like who's who's been through this system that has not served us well. Now, those were not her exact words, and she right, said right. it more eloquently than I did. And I encourage you to go back and listen to what she said. But I'm like, there's a powerful point there to be made about like what is what does success mean? And how are we putting our resources, our time, our energy behind what that should be. And I think, you know, there, it's maybe time now for us to revisit that question in some different ways, right? Because, you know, the, the sort of standard stuff that always dominates the conversation, right? Graduation, um, test scores, right? Uh, you know, attendance, um, you know, students going to college, there's, of course, a good argument to be made about the positive effects of all those things. And there's a really good argument to be made about how that list is woefully incomplete 
for the needs of many, many students and families and communities that we serve. And so what are we doing about that? You know, when when the social contract is kind of broken for a lot of folks and when we see wages stagnant or going down and the value of a college education going down, we can't be out here just being like, you know, uh, play the game, the system works and it'll work for you. Because we know who always gets screwed when that's the like blind logic we're following. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think young people are realizing that at a, a much faster pace than than we are even uh, realizing in terms of like young people realizing that this um, these measures of success, as you just put them, um, are, like it's it's not really real for a whole lot of communities. Like it's just it's just it's just it doesn't add up. Like you know, you could graduate from the high school that I teach at, go off to college, uh, get a career, and not even be able to dream of buying a home right here in this neighborhood that that um, you currently live in. So like, yeah, a lot of young folks are, are realizing that, which again takes us back to this um, the reality that we have to um, you know rethink what success means. We have to tap into the human connection element, and we have to really um, help shape this this change that is happening because the world is changing and um as educators like we have a very important role to play in helping young people um be able to understand their role in in hopefully helping solve some of these problems that that have been created not that it's their fault but obviously it's their future at hand here and the future hasn't been written yet uh a lot can still be done there's a lot to be done and um you know we have a really important role to play and no piece of technology no politician no nobody's gonna um take that away from us um the importance of that role so yeah all right folks well happy new year for sure uh second semester in a lot of systems some of y'all are still on those calendars where like finals are coming up and then it's second semester um so shout out to you for sure because i remember teaching on that type of calendar and i did not like that i did not like that so um (laughs) Do they do that in where in your district, Jeff? Where like the well in, in New York, where like when I came up as a teacher, you mean? Um, where you are right now? Because I don't know what their uh, what LA's calendar. Oh is like. yeah, okay. L- no, LA is not like that. LA, okay. you finish the first semester um, in December, so it okay, goes from sure. like you know mid August to end of December. Um, I came up though as an educator in New York that did have the system that you're talking about, yeah. which. There's, I don't know, man, there's pros and cons because the, the, the con is you get that interruption to learning, which, which makes the, the tidbit in January like probably more stressful than it needs to be. And, right. you know, just a, li- a little bit harder going into like finals and stuff. Um, that said, the semesters are more even in length. Oh, okay. And so I, I got think you. the issue you have, yeah, the issue you have here is like, You have this massively long spring semester that changes the flow of like units and that sort of thing. And is also, you know, spring has these funky periods of time between like now and spring break where you're just like, it's too much time without a break, you know? And then after spring break, you know, you're, you're just got the grind to the end of the year. So the, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I think there's pros and cons to either. I'm not necessarily convinced one is better than the other because the imbalanced. You know, it's like 80 days in one semester and 100 in the other. Like it's a huge difference. You know. Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, I definitely prefer teaching in this like finals and then winter break. 
system that we're on now, like the, you know, the district I teach in, when I first joined the district, we were on the, you know, school starts close to Labor Day. And then, you know, finals for fall semester are somewhere in January. And, um, you know, our calendar shifted up and where we're at right now, I just, I really like that fresh break, that going into winter break, knowing that that semester is a wrap and that when you come back, it's a fresh start in, you know, in a lot of ways. I prefer that. I don't, you know, I don't know what students prefer, you know, in one way that winter break could have been catch up time, but like, who wants to spend their break, like doing makeup? Like, I don't know. Anyways, whatever you're on, for those of you who are listening, who are educators in the school system, whatever type of system you're on, um, we hope your return to school has been or will be um, fantastic for you and for the little people, the young people um, that your system serves for sure. Anything else, Jeff, before we get out of here? Nah, man. Just a happy new year to all. Um, we were debating before the show about whether it's too late to say happy new year, and we have officially decided it's not too late. So happy new year, everyone. <laughs> happy 2023, uh, especially the folks getting back to school come Monday. Um, you know, let's do this, man. We got a great opportunity in front of us to do impactful work with young people. Let's make it happen. Boom. There you have it, folks. All right, now. Remember, we love y'all. Now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class. <laughs>